This is God speaking, apparently. (laughs) We'll pick up at verse 14, day four, after we pray. Lord, there is no surprise that these opening chapters of your word are the most attacked, the most denied, the most contradicted in all of your word. For the forces that are arrayed against you understand that to let these truths stand as you have presented them, as you have done them, would force all of humanity to face the reality that is you, not only in your salvation, but in your judgment. And the world wishes to have nothing to do with your judgment. And so in our time, by the very popular and common theory of evolution, as well as the claims of great age of the earth, these things throw immediate and serious doubt upon what you say you have done here in these opening chapters of your truth. And thus, as we consider these matters week by week going through the creation days, we observe how what you have said stands in stark contradiction to the popular theories of our time that are meant to provide people with an excuse to avoid you, which cannot be justly done, and there is grave warning in doing so. Guide us again in this time as we consider this, the fourth day of your creation. In Christ we pray. Amen. Then God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens and to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. What we see here on day four, just like the other creation days, is the enormous complexity of design pointing to, unmistakably, a designer, creator God, and not evolution by chance. The biblical text implies that at the moment of their creation, the sun, moon, and stars in countless galaxies 
were fully functioning, they did not explode forth and then require a lengthy amount of time to look as they do today. From our earthly perspective, the stars appear to be fixed in space, but they are actually not. They move, they move huge distances at incredible speeds, but those distances being so large from the viewpoint of Earth, they appear to be in the same place all the time. And as a result, mariners, those who sail the seas, have been able throughout history to chart their course by the stars because the stars appear to be fixed in place. This is not a deception by God. This is merely a part of how God created the stars to act. Another observation from this text, God first created light, as we saw on day one, and then attached it, as it were, to the stars that he created on day four. What had been, we might call it a disembodied blanket of diffused supernatural light was now a universe full of billions of light-bearing and light-reflecting bodies. Moons, suns, planets, stars, galaxies, etc. The alternation between day and night established on day one continues with no indication of any change of rhythm or of length on the rest of the days. And that would be true here in day four. Now another thing to observe about day four, day four has a strong anti-mythological and anti-polyistic, polytheistic rather, tone to it. The sun, moon, and stars are all clearly creations of the one true God. They are not gods in themselves. They are not gods who are meant to be worshipped as we find being done in so many, especially ancient cultures. They are, to a certain extent, worshipped by many today. They are rather assigned functions by the one true God, and they are thus not self-actualizing, nor are they autonomous deities or gods themselves. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, the ancient Israelites were explicitly instructed not to worship these heavenly orbs. In the ancient Babylonian and Sumerian accounts, for instance, the sun and the moon are both personified. They are seen with certain personal living traits. They are made into gods in ancient Babylon, ancient Sumeria, and in other cultures or at least godlike beings that supposedly rule the very details of the lives of human beings 
on the earth. Nothing like this is found in the biblical account. Though many have tried to suggest it, and some have actually read this into the biblical account improperly. The terms, the words that are used on the fourth day of creation in the biblical account are not the Hebrew words which exist, sun and moon. These two bodies are called merely, as you heard in the text, the greater and lesser lights, further emphasizing that they are not deities to be worshipped. They weren't even called sun and moon in this account. They had been identified as such in various cultures as the sun god and the moon god. They're simply called the lesser and greater lights. They're inanimate. They are light-bearing or light-reflecting bodies that serve the needs of the earth according to God's design. The sun, moon, and stars are placed in the expanse of the heavens. Now, if you remember back on day two, the word expanse was used of the area between the waters. The waters below the expanse, the waters above the expanse. There, the word expanse seems, it seems to refer to what we normally think of when we think of our sky, Earth's breathable atmosphere. On day four, the expanse refers to what we might call or think of as space or outer space. The vast reaches of the universe well beyond the earth and earth's atmosphere. Nothing improper about this. Various biblical terms take on slightly different meanings even in Genesis 1 where the word day sometimes means the light part of the day. Sometimes it means the whole day. The sun, moon, and stars, according to our text, have three purposes. They are, one, to separate or distinguish day from night. They are also to function to mark the passage of time, dividing it into seasons and days and years. And third, they are also meant to give light on the earth. As signs, as we read, many have thought that the sun, moon, and stars function as astrological signs governing the course and the fate of the world. This is what you find in so many pagan worldviews and cultures. The answer here is no, they are not that at all. The stars are not deities or forces or powers that give off messages. They are signs to mark the passage of seasons and days and years which order our lives, even to a certain extent controlling human enterprise. Astrology, that idea that they have special meaning, astrology is an occult and pagan practice. All such forms of fortune-telling based on when you were born, the sign and the stars that you have has supposedly a certain meaning. All such fortune-telling signs are strictly forbidden in God's Word. Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12, Isaiah 7, verses 12 to 14, and plenty of other places. 
Now, what you might find interesting and maybe are not aware of so much is that some Christians have thought that the signs of the zodiac portray the gospel in pictorial fashion. Virgo is seen, for instance, as the virgin mother. The serpent is, of course, seen as Satan. And various other zodiac signs supposedly portray Christ in various stages of his humiliation or his triumph. So that the signs of the stars are portraying the gospel in pictures, if you will. A man named Bullinger, E.W. Bullinger, wrote a book back in 1893 that was entitled The Witness of the Stars, outlining the gospel in the signs of the stars, the signs of the zodiac. D. James Kennedy and Chuck Missler revived and promoted this same notion. Some have thought that the signs of the zodiac function as an extra-biblical witness to the gospel through which many who have never received the scriptures, he has preached to them, has God, through the signs of the zodiac, and it is thought by some that many in this method have found Christ and salvation. Concerning this, I agree with John MacArthur, who concludes that this entire view is based on nothing but sheer imagination, assigning meanings to the signs of the zodiac, and these meanings are supposedly portrayed in some Christian sense, the elements of the gospel. I think that's based on nothing more, as MacArthur says, than sheer imagination. We know this much. The zodiac has certainly not communicated the gospel in any kind of clear way, to those who are most obsessed with the stars, the signs, and their meaning. There is no, as far as I'm aware, credible record of anyone ever having discovered the gospel message through the signs of the stars. Stars, again, mark times and seasons regulating our lives and setting our calendars. The sun determines our days, the moon our months, and the sun, moon, and stars all determine our seasons and years. The very slant of the earth, tilted at 23 and a half degrees, gives us our seasons. If the earth were not tilted at 23 and a half degrees, we would not only lose our seasons, we would lose life itself. All the vapors from the oceans would move north and south, and they would pile up, as it were, continents of ice. If the moon were any closer, the tides would cause the inundation of whole continents on earth every day. Because the earth is tilted on its axis, the sun's rays strike different parts of the earth at different angles. And this is done throughout the year, determining seasons 
and these seasons are so critical to the rejuvenation of life or growth and the growing of crops all in perfect balance all to bless humanity with a variety of climates and weather patterns the perfection with which all of this operates is one of the great proofs that they were designed by a wise and gracious creator to those who say that scripture offers no direct proof of God's existence it just presents God no proof offered well maybe not a syllogistic proof maybe not a philosophical proof but I say the creation that God created cries out itself as an abundance of such proof of the existence of God just because many reject the proof doesn't mean that this proof the very creation itself is illegitimate the problem is always on the human side it's our unwillingness to believe what God has told us or presented to us we suppress the truth in unrighteousness Romans 1 verse 18 interestingly if we go on with the signs as it were in the stars there is nothing in the stars in the Sun or in the moon that establishes a week of time there's nothing about their patterns which gives us a week seven days and yet humanity universally numbers the calendar by weeks for a brief period after the atheistic French Revolution the attempt was made to establish and go by a 10-day week this was an utter disaster and very quickly the seven-day week was restored the creation week of Genesis 1 is the source of the seven-day week which again is how humanity marks time through the heavenly bodies that he created and the very in the very week of his creating God established the regulation of our lives in days and weeks and months and years none of these things came about by chance they all point to the God who established them the Sun's brightness is pretty constant but there are on the Sun occasional what we call solar flares these are the largest known explosions in the solar system a typical flare typical single flare has the power of several million 100 megaton hydrogen bombs and they can impact the power systems on earth in general the Sun maintains a perfect balance of light and energy to sustain life on earth if the brightness or the temperature of the Sun were increased or decreased by just a few degrees life on earth as we know it would soon come to an end the more that we learn the more evidence of God's creative design is obvious 
Many scientists today believe that the Earth and the planets of our solar system were originally spun off of, came out from the sun, and they were sent into orbit by some explosion on the sun. God tells us, however, that he created the Earth first and then the sun. If the Earth and other planets came out of the sun, we would expect them to have basically a similar physical composition that would have been derived from the sun. But this is not the case. 98% of the sun is hydrogen and helium. Less than 1% of the planets is hydrogen and helium. And the planets, interestingly enough, are all different from one another in their composition. They all have a distinctive look. They all have a singular design. That isn't stated in Scripture, but given that the Earth was created first before the others, it's not a surprise from what Scripture reveals. Venus, Uranus, Pluto spin in the opposite direction from the rest of the planets. The moons of various planets orbit in different directions and on different routes compared to the planet's polar bearings. All of this diversity points again to the creative design of God, not some evolving process of heavenly bodies from one another. Some Christians have accepted the common secular view that the sun is older than the earth. This is a widely common view. And they have suggested that the sun, moon, and stars were therefore not created on day four, but rather they were created on day one. What happened, they say, on day four was that the sun and other heavenly bodies appeared from behind the clouds. They had been there all along since day one, but they became visible on the fourth day. While this is quite commonly believed, no scientific theory has proven that the sun existed before the earth. If the sun just appeared on day four, God could very easily have had Moses say that using the word for appear, which you find in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 1, where on day 3 we are told that the dry land appeared. God made or created the sun, the moon, and stars on day 4. And so the question is, as it has been throughout the creation account, will we believe what God has told us, or will we accommodate what we believe to modern theories? Thus, twisting, turning, altering what the text of Scripture seems clearly to say so that this accommodation can work out, allegedly. If the sun was really created after the earth, this utterly upsets the apple cart of assumed evolutionary cosmology. So many Christians are willing to reinterpret the Bible contrary to what it affirms in context to, confer, to conform rather, to modern thinking. 
rather than believe what God has clearly told us. God created the sun and the moon to govern the day and the night, verse 16. They control life patterns, dividing them into days, nights, months, years. They don't govern literally, of course. God does. But he uses them to govern the earth and its passage into repeated days and nights. The sun radiates light and the moon reflects light, providing illumination at night. But from the earth, they both appear to be light sources. After revealing the function of the sun and the moon at the end of verse 16, in an amazing economy of words, God tells us he made the stars also. So many stars, billions of stars in so many galaxies in a staggering universe. And God simply said, yeah, fourth day, I made all those stars. No further comment. I did it just like that. Such is the awesome power of our God. Scientists really have little understanding of the origin of the stars and the galaxies and their planets and moons. Having spent some $20 billion on moon analysis and exploration, they still have no provable explanation of how the moon evolved, which is one of the many things that they are most anxious to know based on their theories. Friction. The friction of the tides in the oceans related to the moon is slowing the Earth's rotation. Meaning, I am told, I don't understand this entirely, I'm not a scientist, but it means, I am told, the Earth is losing angular momentum. The law of the conservation of angular momentum says that the angular momentum that the earth loses as it's slowly slowing the tides must be gained by the moon. And this means that the moon is, you can forget all that language, the moon is slowly moving away from the earth at about four centimeters or one and a half inches a year. Now, the moon could never, never have been closer to the earth than 11,500 miles. This is known as the Roche limit because if it were any closer than 11,500 miles, the earth's tidal forces acting on the moon would have shattered the moon. But even if the moon began moving away from the earth, from being in direct contact with the earth, it would have taken 1.37 billion years to reach its present distance from earth. So 1.37 billion years is the moon's maximum age. This is far too young for evolutionary theory 
and much younger than radiometric dates that have been assigned to moon rocks. We brought rocks back, we've dated them radiometrically. These don't work within the time frame necessary. The evolution model simply does not work. And there are serious problems with the old age of the universe. God created the moon, the sun, and the stars three days after he completed creating the heavens and the earth. And it appears that when he created them, he set them in the universe where they are, out there, instantly. The moon is slowly moving away from the earth. If the moon is four and a half billion years old or older, it should be much further away. But it's not. The more we learn, the more evidence we see that what God says he did, he did. And the time frame that he says he did it in, he did it in. There are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. And there are trillions of galaxies beyond ours. The Milky Way galaxy. God created all the space. The staggering size of what he created is astounding. The closest star to our solar system is Alpha Centauri. This is actually a triple star system with one star that is similar to our sun and, and then two smaller red stars that are nearby. The center of this star system, Alpha Centauri, is 4.35 light years away. And the smallest of the three stars, Alpha Centauri C, <laughs> ABC, known as Proxima Centauri, defines the outer edge of the system is only 4.22 light years from us. Now that means, you can forget all the details or listen to them again, that means that when observers on Earth look at Alpha Centauri in the night sky, they are seeing light that left Alpha Centauri nearly four and a half years earlier. That's how long it's taking the light to come. And that's the closest star that is visible in our night sky. Most stars are vastly further away than that. Well, that all raises a fair question. If the universe is no more than six to 10,000 years, I know we haven't really discussed that, yet we'll talk about it more as we move on in the text but if the universe is no more than six to ten thousand years old as young earth creationists believe and as the scriptures I think plainly teach or imply and that's something I'll have to say more on as we continue but if this is the case how can we see the light from stars that theoretically at least should have taken perhaps millions of years to reach us. Isn't the universe therefore millions or billions of years old? And if it is that old, well then perhaps evolution is possible, it is argued. The alleged evidence 
for evolution is increasingly and substantially challenged. But do the stars not bear testimony to an old universe? And must we not therefore find some place in the biblical record, if we believe the biblical record is reliable, to fit vast lengths of time? Now again, more on what Scripture reveals about the age of the earth as we move on in the text. But let's observe what is clear here at day four of God's creation. God created the stars to illuminate the earth and to bring signs for our seasons. He created the heavenly bodies a mature, fully functioning existence such that the light traversing from the vast expanse of, of space was available immediately, being capable of designing an intricate and immense universe. God is capable of getting light across the vast reaches of space in accordance with his purpose. And after all, when he initially created light, it existed on day one, expanded out. He then, as I said, as it were, we don't know exactly how, attached said light to the stars. None of this is an illusion or a deception. God created real stars with real light coming from them, visible immediately upon their creation. What looks like great age, based on naturalistic assumptions of origin, is just an appearance of such age, which is the inevitable part of any act of creation by God. Scientific theories about this are ever-changing, and young earth creationists do not have complete explanations yet for every problem raised by light from distant stars. However, remember, thousands upon thousands of alleged errors have been charged against God's word, and yet not one of them remains. After further investigation, after further discoveries, God's word has proven inerrant in its track record of reliability, and thus you can be very sure that current alleged problems or alleged errors in God's word will ultimately be resolved in the Bible's favor because it is God's inerrant word. Some of the problems that have been alleged were unsolved for decades. But every single one of these past thousands upon thousands have all been solved in the result, and the Bible has shown to be true and accurate throughout. At the conclusion of day four, God once again declared that all of his creation is good. Genesis 1, verse 18. The stars, the planets, the moons, the galaxies are all created on the fourth day of God's creation, a literal solar or what we call a 24-hour day. God created the heavens or the space or the universe on day one and filled it with stars and planets and moons and suns on the fourth day. 
The stars did not evolve over billions of years. God created this all fully functioning on day four, and it was all good. There was no defect, no deficiency. There is no room in this for an evolutionary process because everything that was created was already good, just as God made it to be. So, considering the spectacular origin and order and design of the universe, Johannes Kepler, the founder of modern astronomy and the discoverer of the three planetary laws of motion and the originator of the term satellite, said, quote, the undevout or non-believing astronomer is mad. The story is told of Charles Boyle, the fourth Earl of Orrery, a devout Christian and a brilliant thinker who was fascinated with Kepler's and Newton's discoveries of planetary motion and the intricate design of the universe. Boyle hired a watchmaker to make a mechanical replica of our solar system in miniature. At the center was a large golden ball representing the sun, and revolving around it were smaller spheres attached at the ends of rods of varying lengths, representing the various planets. They were all geared together by cogs and belts, making them move around Boyle's sun in perfect harmony as the planets move around the sun. An unbelieving friend visited and marveled at Boyle's solar system device. He said, this is a very impressive model. Who made it for you? And Boyle said, no one made it. It just happened. His unbelieving friend surely got the point. No one can really believe that such an intricate design is the product of chance. It reflects the work of an intelligent mind, a master designer who set things in their proper place and started them in motion. There is a principle in philosophy. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. I was a philosophy major. It's known as the Orrery Theorem. This says, if a model of any system, Boyle's model of the solar system, if a model of any system in nature requires intelligent design, the natural system itself must have required at least as much intelligence in the original design. December 1996. You know what happened then? Non-believing astronomer Carl Sagan died. Near the end of his life, Sagan said, he's the guy that got on TV and said, billions and billions of stars. Near the end of his life, he said, quote, we live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star 
that is one of 400 plus billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy which is one of billions of other galaxies which make up a universe which may be one of a large number perhaps an infinite number of other universes that is well worth pondering end quote Sagan is saying this is also fascinating we ought to think about it this brilliant evolutionist thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and in the end all that he knew was the universe wait for it exists this is something that any child knows Sagan didn't know how he didn't know why he didn't know who how sad everything in the universe points to God as the creator Romans 1 in all of his study in all of his intelligence Sagan missed the obvious Albert Einstein he said of course there is a massive intelligence behind the universe good a man is a fool who doesn't believe that good but we could never know him this method massive intelligence no Albert we can know him because he has revealed himself in his creation and even more in his written word and even more in his son who came to us in human form to die for our sins that we might know God and that we might be with God forever if we confess and repent of our sin and trust in Jesus alone to save us and if we commit ourselves to Jesus as Lord of our lives but professing to be wise man became a fool denying the reality of this creator this Redeemer God humanistic evolutionists refuse to admit what is obvious they refuse to meet the God who has revealed himself and who wants to be known let's pray the staggering evidence of what you have made is before us the revelation of it in clear understandable terms we are given in your word will we believe in you and accept the realities that you present and accept the son that you sent and be saved and know you for eternity or will we with the great majority of humanity reject you reject your evidence in your creation and go into eternity under judgment forever 
the decisions, the difference here, they are staggering and they are critical. Lord, help us who have believed in you to recognize this serious truth. And may we be passionate to spread your truth to all others that they might recognize in the gospel, in the details of your creation as we come to understand it better and better. May they recognize you and come to faith in you as we have. They are no better or worse than we are. All of this is by your grace. May we be your emissaries and missionaries of your truth, of your gospel, of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to know. We pray in Christ. Amen. Rise, if you will, for the benediction. The truths about God's creation are understandably somewhat detailed, but I pray you are blessed by these things and that you have been given a glimpse of what God has been about and what God is about and that you will take this and share this God, this Son of God, with a world that needs to know. Depart in his peace. Amen.